This afternoon we'll speak from a single verse, John chapter 1 and verse 14, which reads, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, or as you might say, and tabernacled among us. A word chosen by John, no doubt, to make some connections to themes in the book of Exodus that he's going to hold on to throughout this verse. Tabernacled among us. And we beheld his glory. Glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Full of grace and truth. All that last section tied to Exodus 33 and 34, making reference to just who Jesus really is. Let's just ask the Lord's blessing upon this word. Father in heaven, We ask that as we come to look at very familiar truths, that you would cause us to have eyes to see and understand in a fresh way the wonder and the significance of the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray for your help to this end. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the more familiar lyrics of all the Christmas carols, thought of in a lot of ways as a child's Christmas carol. Away in a manger, no crib for a bed, little Lord Jesus lay down his sweet head. The stars in the sky look down where he lay. Little Lord Jesus, asleep on the hay. Away in a manger. The lyric, essentially inspired by Luke 2 8, 7 and 8, actually. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Part of my childhood, we lived on an acreage. We had horses. We had a barn with five stalls in it. And each of those stalls had two mangers, one for grain and the other one designed for hay. And morning by morning, evening by evening, you'd go in there and put grain in the one and hay in the other. We didn't necessarily call them mangers, but all it means, a manger, feeding box. It's a feeding box. She gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, away in a feeding box. Not quite as lyrical. No crib for a bed. 
Now, Luke doesn't actually say anything about hay, sleep on the hay. But he's real specific about the feeding box, an animal's feeding box, and hence the song, Away in a Manger. Now, in John 1.14, there's nothing about the manger, nothing about the details of the place and circumstances of Jesus' birth. All of the focus is strictly and profoundly theological. John's great interest is to help us think about who exactly it is who is laid in that manger, who's laid in that feeding box. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Remembering, as always, that context is king, and in the context of John chapter 1, there is no possibility of confusion at all as to who he is talking about. By the time you get to verse 14, when he speaks of the word, who became flesh. And we saw his glory, glory as of the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, Luke says, and laid him, him, the word who became flesh, in a manger. Put me in mind of uh, one of the early books Erwin Lutzer, who years ago was a professor at Moody Bible Institute, but then for the bulk of his career was 36 years the pastor of Moody Memorial Church. And just before he became the pastor of Moody Church, he wrote a little book on Paul's epistle to the Ephesians, and he gave it a great title, a little intriguing title that summarizes very nicely the content of the entire book of Ephesians, which is based on sort of the wonder of what it means to be a Christian. The glory of new birth, the glory of divine election, the glory of sanctification. And he he entitled the little book, You're Richer Than You Think. You're Richer Than You Think. I think if he was to use a title like that of our text on a Christmas Eve from John 1.14, he might have put it this way. There's more majesty in the manger than you think. There's more majesty in the manger than you tend to remember and realize. We'll just make two points from our text this morning or this afternoon. One, the majesty in the manger is tied to the majesty of the person who's in the manger. And the word, 
and the Word became flesh. My entire lifetime, actually, since the early 1960s, you know, mangers have been somewhat controversial, right along with copies of the Ten Commandments, right? Removal of these things from public places for uh, reasons related, as stated, to the uh, distinction between church and state and the separation between church and state. But actually, the the thought behind the trouble is understandable and really a bit more profound than that because what happens in something like a little plaque of the Ten Commandments or a, a manger scene is that you have a symbolic representation of an entire worldview in a way that for anybody who really understands sort of shouts it out that the world is really a different place if there is something like ten transcendent words from God. The world is quite a different place if the word has actually become flesh and dwelt among us definitive understandings of what the world is, whether the world is to be understood purely in speculative human perspective of some reigning ideology, or whether the world is to be understood as something divinely defined and revealed by means of the word of God, which is the assumption of John. And the word became flesh. For in John's estimation, who is the word? Well, he opened the gospel. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God, and he was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness. Did you catch that? Who's in the manger? Well, the Word's in the manger. And in the beginning, that is when the universe began, the Word was already there. In the beginning, the Word already was. In the beginning, the Word was with God. In the beginning, the Word was God. And speaking of the universe as we know it, all things were made by him and apart from him was not one thing made that has been made. That's quite a statement. The word, eternal, creator God, the word became flesh. The Word became flesh. The majestic creator came into flesh. The everlasting, self-existent God came into flesh. And it pulls you into song. Many great songs about it. We've sung some of them this afternoon. My wife and I were first married. We used to leave right after 
work around 5 to 5.30, the last day of work before Christmas, and then we drive straight to Minneapolis. Well, in the late 1970s, if you drove a Chevy Chevette, you had AM radio. And if you know anything about northern Wisconsin, nighttime, late 70s, not a lot of great radio stations. And so you'd flip around on the dial, sort of looking for anything that you could pull in, because late at night, you'd pull, you, might, you might end up with a station from Detroit, you might end up with Chicago, you might end up with Minneapolis, you might end up any major city that has a powerful AM station, their signal is bouncing around, and you might pull it down for a few minutes on the radio. Somewhere north of Eau Claire, Wisconsin, on one of those early trips, I was, I was doing that. And picked up Oh Holy Night for about two minutes on the radio and was so struck by how appropriate a reflection the refrain in that song is for John's perspective on who's in the manger. You're familiar with it. Fall on your knees. Oh, hear the angel voices. Oh, night divine. When Christ was born. Oh, night. Oh, night divine. That's John's perspective exactly. There's a great deal of majesty in the manger. And about the only appropriate response to it, at heart level for sure, maybe even physically, fall on your knees. Oh, hear the angel voices. Secondly, the majesty in the manger is tied to the majesty of God's grace taking on flesh. And the word became flesh. Or as the Swiss theologian Karl Barth, a sermon from 1926, said it's maybe a little bit better to say it this way. And the word came into flesh. That is, the word came and took on a fully human nature. The incarnation. The God-man. God and man, fully man, fully God, the Christian doctrine of the incarnation. But his purpose in coming, purpose in coming is summarized so nicely by the angels to the shepherds in Luke 2.11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. It's a gracious mission of majestic kindness, majestic love, majestic mercy. I'm going to ask you to do a dangerous exercise now. Think of the family you were raised in. Your mother and father, but particularly your brothers and sisters. 
your brothers and sisters. Where do you fit into the mix on something like the naughtiness scale? Are you close to the top, the naughtiest kid in the family, or are you as far away from that as you could be, clearly, the nicest child in the family? My sister had nicest child in the family all locked up at our house. And there really wasn't that much of a contest for second place either. And I was in dead last. Dead last place. And as if to nail that down firmly, to nail that down firmly, I've told this story before, so don't think I'm going senile. I know I've told this story before. So when I, when I start to tell it, he's told that story before. Yes, I have. Uh, and, I'm, and, and it's not senility that tells it again. Um, but that it, I think it illustrates what goes on in this text so well. It's the last day of school before Christmas break. And this takes some doing, because that's kind of a festive day. Teachers aren't trying to teach much. Back in our day, there was a gift exchange in the afternoon, and so room mothers came in, and that was, that was the whole afternoon. So you sort of did a little bit of stuff in the morning, you know, and then the afternoon, the day was really over, and then you were dismissed and went home. And it was an exciting day. It was an exciting day. 1964. And somehow, I I no memory how, but somehow, I have been placed in my desk in the hall, the halls from school. Um, And I'm out there, and it's kind of nice out there. I'm on the first floor, and my second grade classroom, Mrs. Trotter's classroom, is is near this great big old stone building Hallstrom School was, built in the 1920s. And there's a staircase on each end of the building and then a major staircase in the middle of the building. And where that major staircase was, uh, the ceiling was a couple of stories tall. So they could put a pretty big Christmas tree in that. And they did. And I wasn't very far from that tree. And it was all the classes in our, our school had made... Um, construction paper ornaments, and that's what that tree was mostly decorated with, is all of these construction paper ornaments from the kids in our school. And I'm out there waiting to be invited back in when our party starts, which wasn't very far off. I remember it wasn't very far off because the room mothers were coming in. And I was out there facing to the, let's see, it would have been to the south, out of the south windows. And here comes a woman, she's got a couple of cake pans in her arms, and the closer she gets 
the clearer it is to me that this is my mother. She is, she's my brother's room mother. And I watch her come up to the glass doors and through the doors and up the stairs onto our hall, and she's watching her feet and, so, and watching her cake pans. So she doesn't really see me in the hall until she's almost right on top of me. And there I am. She sees me. What are you doing out here? I don't know. (laughs) Listen to me, young man. Oh, you don't want to be young man. You don't want to be young man. Listen to me, young man. You'll meet me right here after school. I'm going to visit with Mrs. Trotter. You stay right here. Don't you pretend to forget that I said that. You, you be right here. We'll talk to Mrs. Trotter. And then you're walking home with me. And that's what we did. And that's what we did. Eleven blocks. We're working our way. 1964 in Rockford was a little like now. There's plenty of snow around. So I'm running and sliding on the sidewalk. Running and sliding, running and sliding. My mom, be careful, be careful. Yeah. I do this every day. Um, But in this particular afternoon, will I still have fair speed? My boots hit drive sidewalk. And now my face is bouncing off the sidewalk. And my lip is busted and bleeding. Your lip bleeds fast. My nose is bleeding. Seven years old. And she runs up to me and says, Oh, Randy. Oh, Randy. Tries to wash the blood off my face with some snow. And then cake pans and all. Picks me up. Carries me home. The next thing I know, I'm waking up. I'm on the couch. I'm waking up. I wake up because my mother has just placed a bag with ice in it covered with a rag on my lip. Try to get it to stop bleeding. So why do you pick up a naughty boy and take him home like that? Why do you do that? Grace. Grace. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, tabernacled among us. And we beheld his glory. Glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Full, full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. 
I mentioned references to Exodus here. Pastor Don just last Sunday night was telling the Sunday night group, we're, we're, we're making our way through the book of Exodus on, on Sunday night. And once you reach, once you reach chapter 24 in the book of Exodus, those next 13 out of the next 16 chapters are just on the tabernacle. They're just on the tabernacle. Descriptions of the, what makes up the tabernacle and then descriptions of putting the tabernacle together. Sixteen chapters on the tabernacle. Very few people find this their favorite place in the Bible. Porpoise skins, goat skins, purple, gold this, silver that, poles, rings, all kinds of details. But in Don's presentation, he made... So why 16 chapters on the tabernacle? What's with the tabernacle? This is what's with the tabernacle. It is the place of the central significance of the presence of God with his people. That's what it is. The place of central significance to the presence of God in the lives of his people. The word became flesh and dwelled among us. In the incarnation, you not only have a symbolic presence, you have an actual presence and a symbolic presence married together. The word became flesh, a human being. And God presenced himself as a man among men for 33 years. He tabernacled among us. And we beheld his glory. Now in the middle of those 13 out of 16 chapters on the tabernacle, First of all, Exodus 33:18, where Moses says this. Now, don't lose, don't lose where we are in John. And he said, Moses said, Show me now your glory. And God said, I will cause all my goodness to pass by your face, and I will call by the name of Yahweh, before you and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will be merciful to whom I will be merciful and then you fast forward Exodus 34 6 and here's the fulfillment here's the fulfillment And the Lord passed by before him, that is, before Moses. And he called out, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, 
and great in steadfast love and truth or faithfulness. That's what John has in his mind when he says, and we beheld his glory. Jesus. Jesus. Jesus in our midst, like God passing by Moses. The Lord, the Lord, gracious, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and faithfulness. That's the mission of the manger. That's the mission of the manger. No matter where you put yourself on the, on the naughty scale in relationship to your siblings, when you place yourself on the righteousness of God scale, I've got news for you. You're doomed. The Apostle Paul, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You're doomed. You're doomed. Everybody in the human race was doomed, save for this. Born to you this day in the city of David is a Savior. Savior. And your great hope, your great hope is this. When my mom did not just start yelling at me and kick me in the seat of the pants and tell me to just keep walking on home, you're out in the hall at school, you don't listen to me, I told you, stop sliding. Well, now... Now, now your face is smashed. Got it coming. What's the matter with you? She might have reasonably said that. So why did she pick me up and carry me home? Lay me on the couch put together an ice pack, sit next to me, hold it on my, my face. Why'd she do that? Because she was imitating her Savior. She's imitating the steadfast love and faithfulness of God. For she knew herself to be the recipient of the steadfast love and faithfulness of God. Do you know yourself as such? Do you know yourself as a recipient, as the steadfast love, faithfulness of God? Merciful. Gracious, bounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. You can. It's offered to you through faith in this child, this Savior.
Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask that you would bring home to us the glorious nature of your steadfast love and grace and favor. We ask for it in Jesus' name.